All right, Johnny. Hey, Tyler. You like you too, don't you? Yeah. Then you might like Seventh Son of a Seventh Son by Iron Maiden. Can I play with madness? Wow. So, as the strains of Can I Play With Madness die away, Tyler's got a lot to say because this is a band he knows a lot about. It's time, finally, for me to sit down and listen to an Iron Maiden album. Is this actually the first one? It's the first time I've properly actually dedicated myself to... listen. Dedicated. I've sat down and bothered to listen to an Iron Maiden album. Do you think it's the first time you've listened to an Iron Maiden album in its entirety? There isn't a Greatest Hits or a compilation that you've made me because you did do that about 10 years ago. Wow, I'd love to see what was on that. I might be able to root it out. But anyway, yeah, this is the first one that I've properly listened to as this is an album start to finish. I'm actually going to really try to listen to it, give it a first shake. So kick us off, Tyler. What's this? What's all this Iron Maiden stuff about? Uh, so for many of you, this I'm aware this is going to seem like a very, very strange choice for us to do. Quite... I think they switched off as soon as they heard Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, quite, <laughs> maybe quite early. Uh, this is this is quite, still quite early in Tummel, or then you might like mm-hmm. the Review 2 podcast. Um, but I, I hear you. What in the hell do Iron Maiden have in common with you two? I can hear you scream. Scream for me! What in the hell do they have in common with, with you two? Mm-hmm. Uh, simply put, Iron Maiden were the first band that I ever really got into, ever really had an interest in, wanted to not only buy the albums, but invest my time in learning more about who created it who produced it what the songs meant mm. um what the jackets looked like yeah the the, the patches um I, I really cared like who who made bruce's pants on like the rock in rio tour mm. um, uh, just to say i'm uh, iron tyler iron tyler used to wear a uh, a denim vest jacket with all the iron maiden patches on and he was he was known as that kid at the rock club that we went to who liked iron maiden which you couldn't really mistake because it was basically like a walking billboard for them anyway yeah but a lot of those patches that are on that jacket and i do still have the jacket mm. um are worth a lot of money like some of those patches are worth 20 30 quid now <laughs> which is crazy so i've got a jacket that really has only gone up in value <laughs> because it did not cost a lot to make and my, my poor mother used to have to sit there and sew all these patches onto the, the, the denim jacket that I had when Metal. I was like about 12 or 13 and th- through that I learnt how to sew and stitch because sometimes she wouldn't have the time to do it mm. so I started doing that and uh, well I think that's very Bruce Dickinson a Dickinson-y because I mean he's a man of multiple talents isn't he I think it's you know it's um it's a hidden part of the rock image you know sewing yeah you know darning you, you, you sit there knitting and sewing your own jackets together mm. but you know life skills learned because I was a fan of Iron Maiden certainly a skill I wouldn't have learned if I had only been into you 2 but going right back to the beginning I found it really hard to walk past the artwork in a record shop of an Iron Maiden album. Mm-hmm. Every single time they bring out an album, it looks like something special. There's been time put into drawing that that cover art by a guy called Derek Riggs, who has been the resident artist. Yep. Uh, and I believe he grew up with the band in South London. And even I, as a pretty much... Iron Maiden, you know, didn't know anything about them. I remember really distinctly 
being in WH Smith's in Wigan and just flicking through the posters, music posters, and seeing the Brave New World poster and thinking, that is cool. Yeah, it still, it still is one of my favourite um, album covers, yeah. not just by a main, by any band. Um, and having just bought a house, I'm thinking about you know what I'm going to put on the walls and oh things like God. that. And I've got some records, and I know I had to go to Hipsters a couple of episodes ago about putting albums on the walls. Mm. But a mural of Eddie, that would be great, wouldn't it? Um... There are some albums I'd would r- rather put on. Uh, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son is definitely an uh, an album art that I would I would have on my wall. Even with that weird little humunculi that he's holding in his hand. That's his heart. But it's, it looks like it might lo- be his soul actually. It yeah. looks like a ghost from Ghostbusters. Yeah, it's it, like Slimer. It, it might be his soul. Anyway, but going back to the point, the reason I really got into Iron Maiden was whether the, the, the there's only one way to describe the live shows and the the gangbuster. It is all out. They they. Just pour the heart and soul into that live performance. They're very much a live band, like you two. Mm-hmm. And they um, have um, they played on stages the same scale and size. They have fan followings, particularly in South America, that are uh, yeah. as big, if not bigger, than you two. Oh as yeah, well. if you go to uh, even in Europe, you go to a show in Spain or something. It's it's just like a different world. It's it's mm. very strange how into that band they are and also if you go to you know finland and sweden where you know heavy metal is it's the kind of pop music yeah it's really big over there and iron maiden uh, have been so influential over the there's a lot of bands around today bands like trivium um that they they just influenced in a huge way and mm. if if you look at the heavy metal scene as influential as you two have been in the the pop rock scene. Yeah. Um, so for me, going from those Iron Maiden live shows and how big and impressive and how loud it could be, it's not a huge leap f- for me to to the you know the dizzying heights of Zoo TV and mm. dare I say it, Pop Mart. After Iron Maiden, after being into a band like Iron Maiden, who do I turn to then for that such an impressive live show? Yeah. And I think genuinely, you two are one of the only bands that you can feasibly, or I could feasibly go to, mm. when I got into them in about two thousand two, two thousand three. Yeah, around that time, it was it was the only other alternative. And I think we're we're both music fans who unabashedly we love live music, and obviously a lot of people love live music, but we also like spectacle, you know. And that's not oh, something yeah. I apologise for. Like you love Iron Maiden, I love Rammstein. Like it makes sense that we both like you two, even as weird as that sounds. Because all of those are dedicated to, you know, we're not just going to turn up, look miserable, sing our songs, and then say cheers, and then just leave. You know, it's going to be a show. I mean, look at Lordy. Uh, I believe they... <laughs> I'd rather not. Did they win? Um, yeah, they did. Yeah, they, they won did. Eurovision With Hard Rock ago. Hallelujah. Uh, and the, the stage show, they, you know, the, the fireworks, the costumes, mm. that doesn't exist without Iron Maiden. I don't think that existed before Iron Maiden. And I'd, I'd be surprised and interested to know if there you know there were other bands that you know put that much in into a live show they really brought musical theater yeah to rock well i think i mean i'm certainly not an expert on on heavy metal or, or, or rock music of any sort really but i would say that what they did was they took something like sabbath which obviously into those kind of uh sort of satanic deathly you know, uh, some might say morbid sort of themes. I love all that stuff as well. Um, but they took it, but they fleshed it out and made it kind of technical and blew it up to a bigger level. And I think that's that's where I made and really found themselves in in terms of their influence. But in 
in a different regard, I think what Iron Maiden consciously never wanted, they never wanted, you know, parents to hear the children listening to Iron Maiden. And it's like, you, you know, you can't listen to that. It's satanic, you know. Uh, he says, I am Lucifer on this album. Yes, he does. But, <laughs> but it, it's in much more of a... It's tongue-in-cheek, isn't it? Yeah, it's much more tongue-in-cheek than than Black Sabbath ever were. I think Black Sabbath kind of prided themselves on they were they were that dark occult band and yeah. they, they thrived off the publicity of and they also your children shouldn't listen to this. Yeah, they have a song called Sweet well they have a song called Sweet Leaf which begins with Tio- a, a little sample of Tony Iommi coughing from a joint basically. So yeah and th- and that song's called Sweet Leaf. So like they're they're very much like were they were the sort of yeah occult slightly stonerish sort of look on the sleeves yeah. and let's not forget he bit the head off a bat yeah yeah i mean bruce does a lot of things he can fly a plane can he kill a bat he can fence he could fence a bat well that I, I, no i wouldn't actually want to say that. i was gonna say i'd like to see that i mean <laughs> i like spectacle but i don't like animal cruelty bruce is quick i reckon bruce could catch a bird hmm <laughs> just, no, let's carry on because I'm worried that we, this is going to be too long of an intro and I'm the one delaying it now so go Tyler okay so both bands formed in the in their earliest incarnations in the mid to late 70s both bands debut albums arrived in 1980 both have travelled the tides and trends of popular music over a 40 plus year career in the business and both are regarded as legends within their own respective genres. Yeah, very concise comparisons there. Good. It's not like they share producers like previous bands we've we've talked about. Mm-hmm. I doubt it's like they share influences, but their impact no. is certainly comparable. Yeah, fair fair enough. And I think definitely um, anyone who's come along with us on this weird little tumble journey, I think the novelty is part of. It's part of, you know, you, you tune in and then, oh, what band's it going to be this week? And we've gone, you know, across a very strange musical map to get to here. And I was very excited to see what was all this Iron Maiden stuff about. Well, Iron Maiden was a band I didn't think I'd get to cover, but we did get a request to cover Iron Maiden. And I thought, okay. Okay. Can it... you feel while I just look up who that was? Because it's not fair to give them a main text. So you feel because you know more about Iron Maiden. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about seventh son uh, of a seventh son it's long been debated as one of the best iron maiden albums i say debated because you try and get all the different kinds of iron maiden fans to agree on what are the best iron maiden albums uh many early days fans at least the ones that were around in the earliest conception of the band are of the opinion that unless it's on the first five albums it's generally no good and certainly not better. So they're the kind of like purists, really. A bit like how in the U2 community there are people who just will not listen to the band after, say, Acton Baby or even or even Joshua Tree. Yeah. Um, or late, latterly kind of all you can't leave behind. There is a cutoff point for certain members. Yeah. Um, I have just found um, the person. It's John O'Rod. Um, and he replied to our original request for, you know, what do people want us to cover on this on this particular series? So Jono says, I know you guys have mentioned I made in a few episodes, that'll be Tyler by the way, um, and they are my favourite band after U2 and Led Zeppelin. I know they aren't in the same genre, so to speak, but I'd love to hear you guys give your opinion on an album. Uh, to which Tyler uh, replied, I'd definitely love to cover Maiden at some point. I think they are very similar to you two in many ways and completely different in others. Johnny might be harder to convince, but I'll try my best. And here we are. Apparently my persuasive powers are greater than even I imagined. Yeah, so here it comes, Jono. So the opinion 
has evolved greatly over the intervening years as new Iron Maidens sprout up from the ground and mm-hmm. discover discover the albums in a different order uh, that project some sometimes dismissed albums uh, to the forefront of the fandom. So, for example, the latest album when I got into Iron Maiden was Brave New World, yep. which came out in 2000. 2000? Yeah, and that's still one of my favourite, if not my favourite, Iron Maiden album. Mm-hmm. felt like they were firing all cylinders. So, basically, everything that I judged Iron Maiden to be was comparing it to that, which is 20 years in, into the commercial career. Yeah. And there are certain, definitely, U2 fans who will who will absolutely loathe anything they've done recently, but they'll say, oh no, that little kind of little bit of time where we say we've got pop, zero acting baby, that is U2. Yeah. And what came before isn't really U2, and what came afterwards isn't really U2. And obviously, this is all about perspectives, isn't it? And I think what's clear is there is no definitive version where it's like, that's Iron Maiden, and that isn't. Yeah, um, bands are subjective, depending on who you were and when you discovered them. Yeah, and if and if you are an Iron Maiden fan, um, just like anyone who tunes into Tumult, then just just give us a chance, particularly Tyler. <laughs> so this album is the seventh Iron Maiden album, hence the name, uh, and it was released at a time when Iron Maiden were probably for the first time on the brink of irrelevance due to an influx of thrash metal and cringe her metal. Which mm. I didn't know was a, th- a a term. Yeah, yeah. Her metal. I'd say like your classic her metal would be uh, like Def Leppard, maybe. And um, what? Yeah, probably. Or maybe early Bon Jovi. And what or her style do you think of when you hear her metal? Um, I think of a German man whose second name is Metal. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> uh, I think of the mullet. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Which haircut? Yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, so Bruce and uh, Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer, they, and they didn't have very good haircuts at this time. I will say that probably not. And Definitely Adrian not. Smith, uh, arguably the lead guitarist at this time, were both feeling fatigued. Iron Maiden in the eighties did a really, really long tour. It seemed like they were never off tour for basically the first ten years. They were just pouring everything into the the shows, going to parts of the world that bands had never been before mm. and it, it really took it out of you because you'd, you'd come come home off a tour you'd go into a studio record a new album then you take the new album out on the road again and and this isn't also good creatively speaking because i mean i know i made and not exactly singing about their everyday life all the time but you need time no matter what band you're in for ideas to develop to become a bit more mature and not just be half-baked and cliche, really. And I will say, certain parts of this album do fall prey to that. You're not going to hear Iron Maiden say, oh, this is a song we've been working on, we hope you like it. Iron Maiden go out and play songs that are recorded well, and ten and minutes ago, during the interval. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> um, on the previous album, Steve Harris, who is Iron Maiden's head honcho, it's his band, uh, Steve Harris solely wrote that album which was Caught Somewhere in Time. Mm. Uh, I think it was just Somewhere in Time. I think it was a later release ca- called Caught Somewhere in Time. This is where my knowledge of Iron Maiden like, falters, because I, I told the, I told Johnny earlier, I've forgotten more about Iron Maiden than I know. Mm. And it's just because I've collected all this information and over I've the years. And I've never learned as much as Tyler's forgotten. That, that's, that's true. Um, Seventh Son was a change uh, for the band and it was an attempt to reinvigorate Iron Maiden to uh, to produce a return to form album 
Whether that happened, we'll find out. Mm. Well, I've got a quote on that um, from a guy called Mick Wall, who basically says, immediately with this album, you got a sense that this could be the album you didn't have to be a solid Iron Maiden fan to appreciate. And uh, obviously, Can I Play With Badness was, was the kind of the big hit off that. So I think this is a very good choice that Tyler's made, because I basically said, I'm very happy to do Maiden. I think it'll be interesting, if, if, if not anything else. But can we make it one that, you know, the very first album, I don't think it's going to be very much in that for me, to be honest. Well, but, that's the album I first wanted to do, because I mm-hmm. think stylistically, it sounds more like certainly some of U2's um, influencers. Yeah, okay. Because it's more punky, maybe. Yeah. Okay. But and, think... and there are Iron Maiden fans now that want to kill you for saying that word, but that that's exactly what I would say. Well, I read an interview that said that they really didn't like punk and, and they, they they sort of never felt they fit into that scene and then other people would have a go at them for not fitting in and blah, blah, blah. But they so... were a product of the time. Well, yeah, exactly. So... Iron Maiden fans, I don't care. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm giving. Oh, this... I don't want to upset any Iron Maiden fans. Oh, what are they gonna do? Just, just know that I'm one of you. You know, mm. I may have. Tyler is actually one of you. I may have changed over the years, and you know, discovered other music, which a lot of you don't like doing, and I understand that. Unless it's Iron Maiden or Enya, you're out. I get it. But I had to go away and discover other other music. Well, if you are an Iron Maiden fan, this is an unbiased review from someone who has no stake on either side of the fence, um, and Tyler, who's very into Iron Maiden. So um, I've tried to be fair, and I think it will be a very interesting ride. So should we have a have a look at Seventh Son of the Seventh Son? We've got to look at the chart. Some would say pointlessly for this episode. No, no I, I defended this before. I'll defend it again. <laughs> are we not going to know any of these? Um, Just wait a second. Hit it. That's me starting off the... Uh, I take it you cut in the. Yeah, but but you saying that sort of makes it rubbish. Anyway, go on. In at number 10, Aswad with Don't Turn Around. Number 9, Who's Leaving Who by Hazel Dean. Should be whom. Number (laughs) 8, Prove Your Love by Taylor Dane. Number 7, Eighth Wonder by I'm Not Scared. Or maybe I'm Not Scared by Eighth Wonder. I'm not sure. Uh, in at number six, a non-mover, it's Sunita with Cross My Broken Heart. Number five, Everywhere by Fleetwood Mac. Can't wait to cover them at some point. In at number four, another non-mover, Tiffany with Could Have Been. In at number three this week, Love Changes in Brackets Everything by Klimmy Fisher. In at number two, another non-mover, it's those lovable boys, Bross with Drop the Boy. And in at number one this week, love this song, Pet Shop Boys with Heart. Holding the top spot for another week. Well, at least I've heard of the Pet Shop Boys and Bros. Um, and Sunita. Did, did you see the Bros documentary over Christmas? No, no, I didn't. Oh, I will watch it eventually. It was like the damn thing was written by Ricky Gervais. <laughs> well, 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 maybe when we do Bros, <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> so silly. Um, right, okay, so are we ready then, Tyler? Are we ready to get Iron Maiden? We're ready, but one thing I want to add is this is a concept a concept album. Iron Maiden's first attempt at a concept album. Half a concept album. That's not me. That's the words of Bruce Dickinson. I may as well, I may as well bring this Fair in enough. Here. That's fine. Fair enough. He says, it was only half a concept album. There was no attempt to see it all the way through like we really should have done. Seventh Son has no story. It's about good and even, heaven and hell. But isn't every Iron Maiden record? I like how candid Bruce is. I think that can definitely be said for it. So, um, yeah, I, one of the points I want to talk about here is is whether this does work as a concept album because I tried and failed to follow the story for this. I felt at some points that I was watching Lost. Really? And, and I was. 
Okay. Well, it's not that complicated. Well, it will please you to know that for every song, I have put this week a story section <laughs> where I will tell you what I believe is happening okay. through the story. Three hours later, we'll be, we'll be finishing this podcast. Okay, no, cool. At least then I'll know this epic saga of the seventh son of the seventh son. So here we go. Track one, Moonchild, with a length of 5 minutes 38 seconds. What I would class as a relatively short Iron Maiden song. <laughs> Not the shortest, but nowhere near the longest. Well, it doesn't feel like a really, really long Iron Maiden song. And I was worried, um, looking at this album, although I was, I was pleasantly surprised there were only eight tracks on it. <laughs> I was... Although I thought there'd be seven, to be honest. And I think there probably could be seven, but we'll, we'll come back to that later on, um, just to keep the theme going. But yeah, this doesn't feel like a long song, and um, I'll give you my first impressions of this song, if, if you will. I, th- honestly, this is the only reason I'm here. <laughs> I, I don't care if anybody else doesn't like this album or, or doesn't like this episode, but I really want to know what you thought of, of listening to this, because I know that you're not an Iron Maiden fan. No, but I'm not, not, I'm not an Iron Maiden Yeah, you're not enemy. against them, but you're... Basically, you've taken the piss a lot <laughs> over the past however long we've known each other. And it's so easy. 16 years, whatever. Right, okay. So um, so there is Bruce's plaintiff voice, which sort of comes... Sorry, plaintiff, not plaintiff. He's not defending himself. Um, his voice comes through. And to be honest, I'm reminded of Spinal Tap, but in a good way. But it's still a little bit sort of novelty-ish. You know, because he's sort of singing about these sort of creepy prophecies and all that kind of stuff. And then, what I wasn't expecting was Spinal Tap step off the stage, in a sense, and Tangerine Dream seems to come into the stage. And that synthesizer comes in at the start, and it's already better than I was expecting. I'm already Mm. like, ooh, that's not only synthesizer, which I like, it's good synthesizer. And I know that this was something that the band, was it was seen as sacrilege, but like, in a very small way, like Dylan going electric, you know, it's like, oh, how could you use keyboard if you play guitars? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a great fu- argument. Funnily enough, on one of the earlier tours, I think it was about 83, 84, a fan uh, caught Bruce outside one of the venues and and, and said, and I'm going to give him Giorgio Moroder's voice for this, yeah. and you'll, you'll understand why. Yeah. And uh, the fan said, hey, Bruce, why don't you play Why don't you play the synthesizer? You could have a synthesizer. And Bruce turned around and went, uh, you can't play heavy metal with synthesizers. Mm. And then fast forward a few years to somewhere in time, um, they started to use guitar synthesizers yeah. and it uh, developed this more progressive sound. The The problem with that, as I said in the intro, was that Steve Harris wanted to write all the songs yeah. on Somewhere in Time. He had an idea for it and he, um, instead of having a more collaborative process, he wrote those songs. Come uh, come around to Seventh Son, there was things that worked and things that didn't, and that synthesizer on this this first song, that takes you to a different plane. It takes you to a different sounding Iron Maiden. Mm, it sounds like a good Iron Maiden. Like I really like that. I also I'm glad that that and I have very scant knowledge of Iron Maiden as we've said, but I like I think Bruce's influence is really good here. And I'm not saying that I dislike all the Steve Harris songs that are purely him as well. I think Bruce has a really good, and Adrian Smith has a very good influence on this. Um, so this is great, and I think, I think Adrian, uh, sorry, Steve Harris, left to his own devices, would kind of write the same song again and again and again. Whereas this, 
it has more the the chord progressions even just the second chord that the guitar goes into it's more minor than I was expecting and it wasn't just that end, endless kind of dum 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 that galloping sound yeah, that you associate with which them, I yeah. am sort of sick of like already having listened to this album and knowing you know run to the hills and all the main ones so so I thought this was great I think the the riff in the chorus was way more subtle than I was expecting as well yeah. um and it, this is a great song. This is an undoubtedly good song. You know, the it, melodies work. This this shows me that they they're willing to change with the times. Yeah, because you know, in 1988, it's very different than bringing an album out in 1980. Music's changed quite a lot, mm. and, and and obviously will continue to do so. So, Just and remind I think, me when what's the month that this comes out in? This is April, I believe. April the 11th, 1988. Mm. A couple of months before my very birth. Yeah. Just thinking about the soundtrack to, not my actual birth, because I don't think they put Iron Maiden on in the thing, but it's just interesting. Well, it's funny you bring that up, because this is time for story time with Tyler. Um, I believe this song is the birth or the arrival of the seventh son of a seventh son, our protagonist for today's episode, the moon child. I thought this was the birth of just the original seventh son. I I don't think so. Okay, I mean, I'm happy. Look, for this to go isn't on with set it. in stone. This is this is my listening. This is me writing, mm-hmm. trying to write down a story that, or a loose story that I've had going through my head for a, a long time. Yeah. So this is just my interpretation. It's not it's not fact. No, and as Bruce himself has said, any fans who are getting annoyed, like it's not fully fleshed out, is it? And I think that's probably better because it gives you more space for you to be an act- active part of the storytelling. Yeah. But I, I like this idea of a seventh son of a seventh son. It is. It's. It's very sort of high fancy, but it's also very Terry Pratchett. As well, well, it reminded me of like you know if you go and see a musical and when they introduce the bad guy, the bad guy will tell you exactly who he is, who he is and who he, what he's capable of, mm. even though the character on stage might not actually be aware of that at that time. Mm. So this is this is what this high energy opener does for me. This is the birth of the seventh son. This is the power that the seventh son has. The moon child has, and the powers that he has, if I'm not mistaken, are second sight, like prophecy or something like that. Yeah. And Lucifer, i.e., Bruce Dickinson, is telling the woman who's just given birth to this son <laughs> she should kill the baby. Yeah. You could read that. You could read into that. I I didn't go there. I thought that's what she he literally tells her. Like, I'm Lucifer, that's what you should do. And you're not allowed to commit suicide, he says as well. Well, well, I, I didn't get that. Unless there's some exact lyrics, then you, you're welcome to that interpretation. Tyler's going quiet now because he's worried. Um, not worried, though. Right, okay. Don't, don't you dare to save your son. Kill him now. Save the young ones. Be the mother of a birth-strangled babe. Be devil's own. Lucifer's my name. So, I think he is saying that. Well, perhaps. Well, who's going to trust Lucifer? <laughs> Fair enough, but at the moment I'm trusting darklyrics.com to deliver what Bruce Dickinson actually said. <laughs> Fair enough. I like this one as well because I think the I think the delicate balancing act which the, the band try and sometimes fail to achieve on this album is to do... I, look, I like fantasy as much as the next nerd, okay, that's that's fine. But I think there's sometimes where it sounds good and dark and interesting and ooh, you know, and that and that's evocative and interesting. And there's other bits where it's like, you know, Skeletor and He Man on a Saturday morning. And I think sometimes the album is one 
and sometimes the album is the other and very like he man that kind of thing yeah this is isn't like that and i, li- I like the bits even the bit at the end when bruce is sort of screaming and cackling and being luciferish I, it sounds good to me rather than just rubbish and cartoony so i i, I thumbs up for this for moon child yeah so the moon child is being born and he has to he's gonna have to decide at one time whether he uses his powers for good or he uses his powers for evil he has mm-hmm. to choose right However, Moonchild doesn't know anything. He's just been born. Well, yeah, you wouldn't expect. Yeah, you wouldn't expect him to. Fair enough. And the story will progress in the next song. <laughs> Infinite Dreams. Then um, Steve Harris, principal writer. Um, six minutes eight. I've, I've inherited your stupid tick of saying that this, uh, no one needs to know this. this good. So this is this wasn't the first single. Re- in fact, this was the last single release. This was song. a single. This was a single. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was released November 6, nineteen eighty nine, and it was to promote the VHS slash CD made in England, which was the documentation of the live show from Seventh Son. Okay. Yeah, they're good with the pun as well. I made no given that. Um, this is. I mean, do you want to carry on with your story thing? Or no, not? no, no. Uh, we'll do the story last. Okay. Um, so. Yes, good. This is very, very sort of instrument and guitar-y based. And Seductive, that guitar, isn't it? At the start it is. Yeah. yeah. At the start it is. And I'd say the start and the very end, I, I quite like. It's the middle bit that I don't like. I think it's a bit of a grind. And I also think that the gears grind between the sections. And I can see there'd be some Maiden fans who hate this and say like, I'm talking rubbish. But some the verses and the chorus, there's a real... As they move between the two and the time signatures change... Oh, it sounds like the time signatures have changed. And this yeah. is nothing to do with Nick McBreen because I know he's a fantastic drummer. I mean, that's evidence Old on this album. Oh, Dr. Puss himself. Yeah. <laughs> have you been thinking about that this week? I have, but I thought it'd take too long to explain, so I wouldn't mention it. Basically, a very, very long time ago, um, I was around at your house and I was talking about probably a new Iron Maiden song. Mm. And you uh, maybe we put a video on of Nico playing mm. and you described him as an octopus or why does he need that many drums? Is he an octopus? And mm. that image is stuck in my head. And I, I, I've been laughing about that all week. <laughs> and that's a joke that's 15 years old. I mean, I'd barely describe it as a joke, but I mean, <laughs> he certainly has a lot of drums. Um, yeah, so this to me is a little bit where we sort of get into a bit, a bit of kind of... I don't think this song needs to be this long, and it sort of sprawls in the middle, and it's a bit—it just sort of it, it halts it down a little bit. I like—I do like the guitar tone at the start, um, and around about three twenty-ish is where I start to think, "Oh, this song's got good again." And then some of the outro stuff is great, but um, I don't know. It's a bit of a mixed bag for you, then. Yeah, well, well do you like it? Well, yeah, I—I I do. I genuinely love this song um i remember i had the seven inch single and i used to play that over and over and over again Mm. really loved it um what what i noticed within this song is steve harris being not only a very good and very competent bassist but a, a confident bassist that he he knows that his bass doesn't have to be too loud in the mix sometimes it can sync and he can just let it go and with the the beginning riff in this song, the bass is so low and it just sounded like, you know, this little creeping mouse going across a, an icy pond. That's the image I got in my head. I know I'm weird. Um, <laughs> I, I've just, I'm just looking down cause I was thinking, is this the one? No. Okay. I, I have a, a few issues with um, Harris's bass tone actually. Okay. Later on, not on this album. Um, not on this song rather on this album, but later on, um, 
yeah, it's fine. Um, the vocal hook, I think that well, that's the hook in 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 the whole song. That that vocal hook in the chorus. See, I don't I don't think it has a hook. And I, like, look, I've not listened to this album many times. I've listened to it probably about five times, right? And obviously, the big hooks like "Can I Play with Madness?" That's fair enough. They hit yeah. you after one listen. And I and I thought, right, okay, well, some of these longer songs, it will just take a bit more time. And some of them just started to pull away from the others. And "Infinite Dreams" just right down, just never. I couldn't tell you what the hook is from this song. How does it go? I'll have to look. I'd have to look at the lyrics, but I, I, <laughs> I, I, I know you've got all the lyrics up there, haven't you? Yeah. Um, rest asleep, the mind's in turmoil. I mean, one nightmare ends, another fertile. I mean, bad lyrics there. Oh, uh, it uh, can't it all be coincidence? Too many things are evident. You tell me, you're an unbeliever, spiritually. That it, it, right. when Bruce does it, it works. Yeah, but, this, but you, I, even, I wouldn't claim to be Bruce Dickinson or have his range. Even you doing that reminds me of how it's very plodding. That kind of it can't all be coincidence. But, to, yeah, it's like, it's very it's musical theatre. Yeah, well, that's why I don't like it because he sounds like he's twirling his moustache and sort of appealing to the crowd. I mean, well, me and neither. Come on. I I like it. That's all the. Uh, all the remaining Iron Maiden fans have just turned off. I know. Uh, it, but yeah, fair enough. The story, though, uh, these uh, the, this infant child, maybe a boy, um, still fledgling, is. Well, it's uh, called Seventh Son. Yeah, but he's still a child. He grows up. Oh, I thought you were you were speculating about. No, his he, so he's just been born in Moonchild and in Infinite Dreams. This is when he's first encountering his powers mm. and uh, what his possible possible destiny might be. And it's the, one of his powers, the power to make time sort of stretch on for ages and ages. Because <laughs> that's what I got from Infinite. No, that's Infinite just uh, that's just Steve Harris's uh, power. <laughs> uh, st- uh, dreams of weighing up the good and evil of mankind. Uh, and I imagine this is Moonchild discovering his powers and dreaming about a great purpose. It's the fall of our protagonist who is reluctant to accept the power and destiny that he already has. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lyrics to back this up. Help me, help me find my true self without seeing the future. Save me! Save me from torturing myself, even within my dreams. Mm. Fair enough. Um... And there's lots of mentions of prophecy and uh, clairvoyance on this album, so that's where I think the st- that's how the story moves along, just in that little section. Fair enough. And tiny little fun fact for the lyrics: um, one bit says it get it it's getting to me, so scared to sleep, but scared to wake now in too deep. And at that moment, there's something that sounds a bit like some forty one. Now, some forty one have definitely ripped this off, and very consciously in that song that they did, that I've forgotten from All Killer No Filler. You know where they're doing a, a pain yeah, of pleasure. Yeah, they're doing a, a well, I love cover. pain of pleasure. It's a good song, and I think it did remind me of that. And I'm wondering, in too deep, is that where they got maybe the idea for it, or maybe not? Well, that's just you know that's the the ever reaching arm of Iron Maiden's influence. You know, it was it was some forty one and Blink one eight two and a lot of those bands that we grew up listening to, they're already influenced by Iron Maiden. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've no problem with that, and I, I think it probably makes sense. What I really like is at four minutes, you've got Adrian Smith and Dave Murray, the two guitarists, kind of dueling, having a dueling guitar riff. Mm. And that really caught my attention this time. 
and it just it just makes it, it just adds something else to the song even four minutes in very catchy tune uh, that takes you on its own journey I wouldn't say it's catchy um, it does take you on a journey um, this is going to be the difference though like if you don't like this then God knows what you think of other, other songs I, I, well can I shock you <laughs> I like another Steve Harris song that's on this one, which is amazing, absolutely amazing. And um, anyway, let's let's hold that off because here it is. Can I play with madness? No, um, you can't. <laughs> that's the level of, of Iron Maiden joke we get after <laughs> this much years of fandom. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is a song that I remember was definitely on that compilation you, that you made for me. What really that surprises me. Yeah, um, and I I think I remember. I might have been being a little bit snobby. I put because I did like a lot of the songs off that. I remember I really liked Fear of the Dark and The Trooper and the you know, Aces High, like the obvious ones that I would like. I didn't think um, you'd like Aces High. If it's the one that I'm thinking of, it, it was good. Does it show Aces High throughout the chorus a few times? Uh, let me think. Uh, yeah, I think it does. Oh, it's Aces High then. Confirmed. Right. Um, but um, I remember this would be one. Getting back to what I was saying, where the I'd put it on and you'd have you know Bruce shouting that out in his kind of very ebullient way yeah. and I just go skip I d- <laughs> and I didn't like it but now I've given it the time of day I love it it's brilliant this is one of my favourites off the album I mean obviously because it's is this their most commercial song because uh, I remember reading something where at it said this, this was, time yeah. it might have been it might have I'm, I'm not too sure um, I read something that this is one of the only ones that actually gets airplay anymore so basically the number of the beast album debuted at number one mm-hmm. this album Album Son of Seventh Son was the second album to debut at number one, but for most of them they'd been in, you know one, two, or three mm. in the in the UK charts. Um, Steve Harris does call this not Steve Harris, Adrian Smith uh, does call this the first proper single. Yeah, well, it's three minutes thirty of pure fun, isn't it? Yeah, it was the, it was the lead single. It was released on the twentieth of March, nineteen eighty eight. It's three minutes thirty, which I think we can all agree is the that's key single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and penned by Smith, Harris and Dickinson. It also has an enjoyable but completely baffling music video. Yes. Featuring Graham Chapman. Um, yeah, one of his last performances. Yeah, I mean, sort of sad that he wasn't involved in... I'm not saying it was bad, the music video, but it doesn't make any sense. No, he does look old, though, doesn't he, Chapman? And, I, I, think he, I think he was quite ill at that point, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he does a good job in it. It's just it's just a weird video. and I, I, it, it doesn't make any sense in contact in context of the album. Um, the thing, or, or on its own. <laughs> so the thing they is... go to Tintin Abbey... Yeah. Well, not even Tintin Abbey. I think it's Bolton Abbey they go to. And I think it's Tintin. I've been to Bolton. All right. Well, they, they go to an abbey, right? And one of them draws, like, Eddie in the sky. Yes. And then Chapman gets annoyed about this, then falls through a hole. Then there's a TV down in the dungeon. Yes. Right. The thread has been lost, I think, there at some point. But it's madness, isn't it? He was he was he was scolding the the pupil for drawing Eddie in the sky when Eddie was in the sky because he pointed to the sky. Yeah. Eddie appears and all the other children don't look horrified. Just go, oh yeah, look at that. Well, that's confusing anyway. <laughs> yeah. You don't see that every day, right, do Eddie. you? Hello, kids. Um, we draw, are we? So I think while while uh, the teacher played by Chapman is reading the the Iron Maiden magazine. He falls into madness himself. Why is the Iron Maiden magazine underneath an abbey? 
No, the the child had it in his pocket. All oh, right, okay, fine. Why is a TV showing Iron Maiden underneath the Abbey? I, I, again, I think he's slipped into madness. I'm sure there's someone who can do, do Actually, please send us an actual... I did watch like, it earlier, actually, and, and I thought... I've seen it once. I remembered it slightly different. It doesn't make as much sense as I'd like it to, but... Yeah, well, if anyone's got an actual, like, oh, no, you're missing all the, the key things, then please send it to me, because I, I will genuinely be interested in, in reading that. Send it to our it, Twitter account. For me, it's kind of strange that how you, your interests, whether you, whether you know that you're into that kind of stuff yet... Mm. They kind of they connect later on. Yeah. So I was into Iron Maiden first, and then when I was a teenager, I discovered Monty Python, mm. and became a huge Monty Python fan. And I think you are one of the only people that I can quote Monty Python at, and you get it every time. Yeah. And it's the, it can be the most obscure reference. Well, thank you. I'm not that big of a Python fan, but I do like it a lot. Uh, but I I was I was saying. The, the, a sketch that I don't know if many people know about, but it's the tinny sketch. Tinny, tinny, awful tinny sort of word. And 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 the his daughter and his wife are like, oh, stop saying tinny, oh! And, which I find really funny because it's so stupid. Um, but I'll often say tinny, tinny, tinny sort of mm. word. Maybe when I'm getting a tin of, you know, peas or something out of the cupboard. <laughs> Um, but I said it around someone the other day, and they went, oh, Monty Python. And it was like, yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. So... Um, there we go. I'm revealing way too much. Um, yeah, well, maybe this song has turned you slightly mad. Um, okay, so uh, in terms of the story, Moonchild is now going rogue. I imagine he's a t- his teenage here. Mm. Uh, he's trying to deny his destiny, but uses his powers for his own entertainment. Um, this is when Moon- Moonchild takes on his Earth name, the Prophet. Uh, okay. Because it, the Prophet stirs into his crystal ball. Yeah, and you see Moonchild, and Moonchild is turning this guy crazy, this uh, clairvoyant figure. It's not much of an Earth name, is it? The well, again, the Prophet. It's not canon. It's just my opinion. No, I'm just saying if you're going for like an Earth name, then choose something more, you know, less less conspicuous, like you know, Derek, Tim, Tim. There are some who call me Tim. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's my my reading so far. Okay, and I I probably I think this is. No, yes, no, this is the end of uh, Act 1, and the lyric um, I've gone with is Too Blind to See. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. The lyric I uh, singled out was, I say you'll pay for this mischief in this world or the nef- next. I think mischief is kind of a, it's an, uh, sort of a weak word. It's the weakest word in this whole song. It'd be alright if you could say it. Mischief. Um, but there we go. Um uh, the only other thing I want to say about this, apart from that it's a, it's obviously a Stone Cold classic, is um, it's very weird to hear the same song, not the same song, the same line for a song's chorus sung in two different, or even three different ways as it's sung on here. Usually what you would have is someone would sing the chorus, or part of the chorus at the start, and then it would return later. I just think that's weird. I've not heard that. I'm trying to think about where that's done before, where you hit, you know, the... the title of a song and the main line is sung and then it's sung totally differently later on and I think it, it makes this one really enjoyable to come back to um, yeah great song uh, I will say for myself and I imagine for a lot of Iron Maiden fans this is kind of like pride oh yeah I imagine we've so. heard it so many times it's mm. like play something else if, play something we've not heard before I, I mean I'm conscious of time but if you went to an Iron Maiden show would this be one that it's very likely to hear these yeah. days yeah. Cool. Okay. Fair enough. 
Well, I'd be happy hearing it. I mean, I'm guess like I'm like, I'm like the EZU fans who annoy me, who who desperate to hear Pride for the. No, I'm not asking time. for an Iron Maiden ticket now. After you you really took the piss out of me last time I went and watched <laughs> them, which was August last year, not even a full year ago. It's just an open goal, isn't it? But look, I'm enjoying Iron Maiden now, and maybe you'll turn me into I don't know what are Iron Maiden fans called? What are they called? Metalheads? I don't know. Edheads. Edheads. Fair enough. All right. Um, right, well, let's move on to the evil that men do. Um, so, um, this is the one, actually, where, I'm sorry, Steve Harris is a great writer in terms of, you know, his ability to write rock songs. The tone on his bass is, is I'd say, gritty, muddy, and uneven at the start. The, just, and if you, if you, I'm sure I'm annoying some people because I, I know, obviously, he's got such a high status within the band in terms of writing the songs and he's, you know, we, without him, we wouldn't have the the gallop, yeah, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. which I mean, which is used in seventy five percent of all Iron Maiden songs. But if you, and and other band songs. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you just just listen back to the the opening to this and listen to just the bass at the very start, it's horrible. Like it's really badly recorded and. I think he, he, I don't know, maybe he likes that tone, but I do not like it. It's okay once the drums and everything else comes in and covers it up, but it's just... It's, it's <laughs> it, might, it might be a personal preference, I, I suppose. No, it's objectively bad. Um, and uh, So this was uh, released in August 1988. It was the second single. It peaked at number five on the UK charts, mm. written by Smith, Harris and Dickinson, uh, which, you know, they, collectively they wrote a lot of the, the music for this album. They were good at writing the, um, the classics together, like this and the last one. Um, Another seductive riff right at the start, which I just I love even now. I can't get enough of that riff. Um, yeah, I think the the riffs are very, very strong all the way through this. And they're actually the connection between the melodies and the riffs are a lot stronger than I was expecting as well. Um, and I think this song achieves something that I Maiden can do. When, when they do hit something hard and do something properly... They they do achieve their own sort of level of transcendence where they've got a pre-chorus which is great and very catchy, and then they go like, oh well, that you thought that was good, and then they move up to a chorus, and then when you start singing, you know, the evil that men do, and that do 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 do, it's it's hummable, it's a great melody, mm-hmm. and it's like when they're focusing on melody and not just being like how many references to sort of Halloween kind of put into an album. Then they do really great songs. I don't know if they've ever mentioned Halloween. Ever? Oh, come on! I know. I don't. I don't know if they ever have. I think even for them, it's too on the nose. <laughs> well, it's in the background of everything that they do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved it. I liked. Um, I just thought this was a great song, um, and I think this is a very strong end to side one of the album because on a record it would be. And um, I think you're wrong. Well, no, it, I think you're right. Cheers. Uh, Please don't question the Iron Maiden expert in the room. Uh, I was going to bring the record actually today. Yeah. Because I, as I, as I was saying in the intro, like as a piece of artwork, it still stands up. And you, you know, on the on the reverse cover, it um, it kept, the image carries on. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So you know, it's like Let's have a look. It's so it's a longer image, but I was going to bring it today just to, just to show you because it's an impressive thing. But uh, I've moved house like three times in the last um, 18 months and a lot of my stuff is just in boxes under, under, and all my unmade stuff's in there. So sorry. Well, I'll look it up maybe. Um, yeah, good. Very timely song as well because um, 
certainly speaks to our generation. The story then. Yeah, go on. Uh, this is the awakening after um, going rogue and playing playing with his toys, i.e., the human race. Um, this is when Moonchild starts to Wait, the prophet start. No moon. He's still moon. moon We're calling him Moonchild, all right? Okay. All right, Moonchild. <laughs> Moonchild. Uh, so Moonchild is starting to realize that he can't run away from his from these dreams and his destiny that he's having. And I've backed that up with the lyrics, Circle of Fire, my baptism of joy at an end, it seems. Mm -hmm. The seventh lamb slain before me, the book of life opens before me. Uh, and I will pray for you, someday I may return. Don't you cry for me, beyond is where I learn. Mm. So now he's got to progress, he's got to grow up, he's got to stop running from the troubles in his life and the destiny that he has and that is um that's the start of act two i think mm. are you following this i mean i'm listening to it i don't know if i'm following it i i did listen i did read a couple of explanations of it and i don't think there is a coherent narrative but i'm, I'm impressed see, I, by your I, attempt. I didn't want to read other people's because i wanted to try and put down my own yeah, thing so. that's always been swimming around and i've I've noticed i've been listening more intently apparently not to the first song uh, <laughs> but yeah okay so are we done with the evil that men do yeah and let's get on to the title track uh seventh son of a seventh son seventh son of a seventh son yeah, um, this one is a Harris track that I think is fantastic. I think this is where he's at his strongest. Um, this is actually worth being 10 minutes long, um, near enough. I'm really surprised you are going to say that. No, this is great. This is I, I don't have a problem with epic songs. What I like is when there are different kind of sections and things that pay off. I mean, this is why, um, I mean, this is a totally off-the-wall comparison, but um, some of the longer Mew songs, like Louise Louisa or Rose or something like that, they really pay off because it's different sections. Whereas I felt that some of the other ones before were just either sprawling, like not really going anywhere, or too just guitar solo-y. Now, there's a lot of solos on this, but all the different sections in that middle part is fantastic. And the guitar and the vocals locked together as well, which is great. And the middle part where you've got the synth, which adds, really adds to it as well. Um, I think this would make a really good driving song because you've got that middle section where it's just you know basically some synthesizer and drums going on. They need to learn to do that light and shade thing a bit more. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm preaching to you know 1988 <laughs> Iron Maiden here, <laughs> but I just I think this is a bit of the album where they get like, okay, let's go at you know 90 mile an hour here, drop it down to 20, then build it up again, and then suddenly they're at 100 for the last part, and it works really well. And I mean, like the bit where the um, where they actually have like some sort of choral choir. I don't know if it's synthesized vocals or choir, but that works fantastically. It, it's it's brilliant. And this made me nostalgic for a time when I used to play a lot more of this sort of guitar style. Like obviously not as fast or anything like that or as competently, but when I would be more into the kind of like Joe Satriani style, like you know. And it's not just let's see how fast we can play. I mean, there is a bit of that in it, but but it actually sounds good in this. And I think this is this is probably the best point on the album, really. I'm I mean I'm so surprised to hear you say that. Okay. Because um, I, I think for a lot of people, this is really a song that you don't discover until you you know you really sit down and 
and listen to Iron Maiden. Like they seem to have like w- at least one epic on mm. every album. Yeah. On on the previous al- album, it was Alexander the Great, which is a song I've never really cared for. But I remember in college, my my, my girlfriend at the time, her dad, would just talk about Alexander the Great as if it was you know one of the best songs ever written. I just thought, I never really never mm. really cared for it. I, I don't I don't get it. Um, but that album, I, I don't particularly care for other than the singles. Uh, but if you go to like Fear of the Dark, you know everyone knows Fear of the Dark. That it's that. It's got an instantly recognisable main riff and yeah melody, hasn't it? Though Fear of the Dark is 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 something else. I think you know. Hallowed be thy name, which uh, is a lot of people's favourite Iron Maiden tune. There's a lot of videos, uh, you know, reactions of uh, children and um, rap guys and hip hop guys listening to Hallowed be thy name for the first time. Mm. So this this is that it's that caliber of song. It just wasn't a single like some of those others were. Yeah, I don't see how this could be a single. I mean, it's it's too long, really. Yeah. And yes, I know Bohemian Rhapsody was a single, but you know, there we go. And Fear of the Dark and Hall Be Thy Name. So. Yeah, I just think these days people wouldn't be up for that longer stretch of instrumental music. But I really like it. I think it's it's great. Um, it took me a few goes to get to get into it, just because it's it is so big. Um, but this was actually the first song on the album because I've been, I've been sort of pottering about the house um this week because i've been off and um this was the first song that i started to sort of uh guitar without knowing it you know what i mean mm. just sort of walking around the house like okay i've done that i've done that and then do, 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 you bang. closeted iron maiden fan you well it's got a great riff i'm not I'm nothing against a great riff as long as things are going somewhere and this and this song does go somewhere yeah no idea about the story though like okay, it. so the story. This is when Moonchild realizes. This must be the the, the podcast where we said Moonchild the most ever. <laughs> well, I don't think we ever said it before today. No, not just us. I think literally oh, no yeah. one has said Moonchild more. Well, if on a, anyone on a is in touch with Guinness, can you uh, see if that is true and get us put, put in the Guinness Book of Records? Oh right, I thought yeah, I thought there was some sort of link between the Moonchild and Guinness. I was like, yeah. we're we gonna get a free. Then it, we wouldn't get in the Guinness Book of Records. We'd have to be sat in a bath of beans while we recorded it. <laughs> Wait, you're not. Maybe, maybe spinning plates on our nose. Why have I been sat in this bath of beans all all series? I don't know. You know, I hate beans. They they revolt me. I can't even talk about beans. I hate it. Um. Anyway, Moonchild. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Moonchild. Um. So this is where he starts to see the death and destruction that he has caused by basically not choosing to fulfill his destiny, or you know, um live as maybe he should have done mm-hmm. um and like we heard in the last song there's there's almost been a a reverb that lyric again uh, not a reverb a rebirth uh that lyric again was uh, a circle of fire my baptism of joy at an end it seems mm. so now he's realizing just what he's done and, and the weight of the situation and i can't find my notes well, really? while, while you're looking for them, I'll say this is weird. Weirdly... I, ju- I just turned the same piece of paper over about six times and was surprised by the result each time. Um... <laughs> well, let me just finish my point because I was okay. trying to feel for you there. Um, this song, the start of it, reminds me of In the Court of the Crimson King, has a similar kind of vibe to it. That was my only little little point. It's a good point. I like, I like yeah. both songs. There we go. Okay, so here's, here's a lyric. Uh, Born the healer, the seventh his time, unknowingly blessed, and as his life unfolds, slowly unveiling the power he holds. So this is where he he, he becomes that uh, 
the, he's chosen good. He's chosen to help the people that he has previously been ign- ignoring. Mm-hmm. And you're right there. <laughs> She's yawning. Well, well, thanks. I was trying to yawn off Mike, so it wouldn't seem rude. Um, so this is where he's decided he, he's going to do good, and he's going to he's going to help the people that he's previously ignored. He's going to use his power for good and not evil. Okay. Um. Fine. This good. is really the part of the play where the comedic characters would. You know, like in Shakespeare, they'd recap the story. Mm, well, oh, think, there's a costume change or something. I think things are going to get a bit more musical theatre actually here because um, the prophecy. Um, this is not a very good song, I would argue. First writing credit for Dave Murray, so poor Dave. Well, Dave, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but it's not very good. Um, guess what my favourite part of this song was? Spanish guitar. Yeah, the bit at the end. Yes. Yeah, lovely, absolutely beautiful. Why couldn't the song have been all like that? Because I think one of the things that the, the these last three songs suffer from is it's just a bit relentless, really. I think the whole song could have been more of a sort of sorbet palate cleansery thing. But instead we get this, then we get the clairvoyant, then only the good die young. And it's just like, apart from that little Spanish guitar, which is like an oasis in the middle of it, it's just a bit too similar in, in some respects. And I would say this is probably where we end up with it being quite skeletory, like the lyrics. So, I mean, I've got a bit here. Um, Suffering and pain and impending disaster. Souls crying, the devil's laughter. Heard the cry of the seven whistlers. Lucifer smiles, looks on and waits. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's the delivery of it. It just seems a bit sort of like, yeah, he-man, that kind of thing. You know, it sounds like that. Hello, Batman. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like... And and there's a stereo bit as well where where the voice it might be that bit where the where the voice is coming in from one side or another and it took me right back to turn off the dark. Oh yeah, I've Spider-Man. been watching video. I I wanted to send you videos the other night. Well, it's very like that, which is not a good. thing. There was something we completely missed when we were doing turn off the dark, uh, mm. where the cast turned up on David Letterman and did some. Oh no! Performances. I, I saw that in if not full on the costume. Yeah, and it's I obviously saw... the f- the first draft of the, the yeah. thing. I think I saw that just afterwards. Oh yeah. my god, I, I loved it so much. It was it was all kinds of awful, but I really loved it. It was a hot mess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I so I, I I agree with you about the the prophecy. It's really undercooked. Good. Take um, that, Dave Murray. I, I don't. I, I like Dave. I've met Dave before. He's he's a lovely fella. Oh well, fair enough. Um, so, sorry, sorry, I've met Dave. most of them apart from I've not met Bruce. I've not met Steve. I thought you met Bruce when you bought his autobiography. No, I. Uh, so basically, I bought when you buy a ticket, you can pick up a signed book after mm. after the show. I forgot I went to that. That was really good. <laughs> What was that autobiography called again? Uh, Don't press this button. What does this button do? Oh my god, it's so annoying. And there's a button on the cover, yeah. and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't. No, you can't actually press the button. It's just a 3D looking button. Yeah, which doesn't do anything. Well, of course not. What I don't. One would say you're a moron if you expect a book to have. A, what do you want it to do? Open up and read itself to. You? No, but like. If you, in the old days when you bought Goosebumps books, right, with Monster Slime or whatever it was called, the, you'd be like pressable slime on the front of it, and that would be interesting. If you're going to draw attention to, I don't know, it's just either make it tactile or not, make do, a little beep go. Do you know that beep. Bruce's autobiography is for adults and not children? Well, this album isn't. Oh, 
Right, go on then. Let's carry on then. So, do, do you want to say anything more about the prophecy? I want to tell you what the bleeding story is about. <laughs> Christ. Oh. Right. right. No. out, everyone. Now that the moon child has chosen good over evil, no one now believes who he truly is, and they refuse to follow him. Uh, he has caused their destruction through his past actions, and now has to live with the consequences. Mm-hmm. How has he caused destruction? Right, so can I play with madness? When he was growing up, you know, he yeah. went he went rogue and he was playing with his power and he was making like he was using it for his own entertainment. So yeah. he, that has caused the uh, death and destruction that we saw in the evil that men do. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, which you know, when he'd seen when he'd seen that, he didn't realize that he'd actually caused it. But now he re- realizes the full extent. And when he can save them, didn't he realize that in the last song? Well, that was that was a re, but but this is it's following on. So he's just realised, mm. and now he's trying to save people, but no one wants to follow him now. Right. Um. So there you go. Um. Arguably, that's the end of Act Two. <laughs> You're pretending this has a three act structure. I am. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, back to another Harris song. Yes, uh, The Clairvoyant, an, uh, another favourite, another single, peaked at number six and was released on November the 7th, 1988. Uh, yeah, The Horrible Bass is back. Um, so, like, I, I think the problem... I don't have a problem with his, like, dunk 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 stuff. It's just the, the song, the sound of it, the quality of it, it sounded like it's been recorded on a tiny little cheap Fender amp. And maybe people like, um, I don't know, this sort of clicky sound. It's like he's got really fresh bass strings that haven't been worn in. I don't know, maybe some people like that. I do not. Um, but this song is um, a lot more straightforwardly fun and sort of questy. You know, it sounds like an adventure, which is good. Yeah. Um, the chord progressions are a tip, actually a bit like Moonchild, weirdly enough. They're a bit less typically Maiden. So with the Maiden song, if it starts off going... I expect, you know, one to move to the other. It's pretty obvious where they're going to go. It's just a bit more subtle which is good um and and believe me this album needs a bit more subtlety um <laughs> there's another ge- I'm, I, I don't think i made need subtlety <laughs> maybe not i mean because one... they exist within their own universe which certainly which is you know and it's kind of like a i think going watching iron maiden is like going watching it's going like going watching you know something at the theater mm. you know they're actors on stage yeah. You're aware of that. Yes. But the you ha- you have to buy into this veil of no this is really happening. I'm watching a story, a drama unfold. Okay. And I and I think the same is true of Iron Maiden. Okay, you have to suspend your disbelief for a bit with Iron Maiden. I I get that. But I'm still saying that I think as someone who is outside of it, it would be more effective if there was a bit more subtlety because there's just there's just so much stuff that that is just repeated and I think it would be It'd be better if there was a bit more sort of light and shade and variation in some of the stuff, like maybe three less guitar solos in the whole album. That would be quite good. Um, the gears grind again on the move from the verse to the chorus, but I actually think this one works really, really well. I, I like this a lot. Um, so when they move into that bit where they're saying it's time to live and a time to die, um, I think there is a big change. You feel them go junk into the next, you know, into the chorus, and the drums change. Um, but I like it. it. Actually, works here weirdly yeah, enough. Yeah. Um, this is a classic Iron Maiden song. Um, I think it's on all of the best offs that they've currently released. Oh really? Um, the, and I think the band are at full power too. 
Final section is very, very impressive. When they all sort of link together there, that's that's really good. Yeah, it's it's an example of them working together. The galloping guitars, the the heavy drum beat, Bruce at full volume. They call Bruce the Air Raid Siren. I'm not uh, surprised. Because um, he is loud. He's a loud singer. I'm, I'm, I am amazed all the way through. I probably should have said this at the top. I am amazed at Bruce Dickinson's, the power of his voice. It is... It is something to behold and listen to yeah and i've watched a few live videos i mean you've shown me them before anyway but he is consistently such a fine singer and can do that for two and a half hours yeah and 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 scamper about the place like he does um whereas i mean you look at a lot of quote-unquote metal these days you know and i like heavier metal as well heavier than this i mean um but a lot of it is just it's it's not actual singing it's literally just you go into a a guttural sort of like place in your throat and it's yeah. not that difficult to do, you know, like especially not on record. And when you're about 15 and you're getting into like, what's the heaviest song that I can listen to? <laughs> yeah. Then you're impressed by that. This is more impressive. This is a lot more impressive. So, yeah, no, hats off to, to Dickinson. Yeah, he is, he's a real singer. Like, you get the sense that although this is the the genre he's chosen, he could he really could have chosen any other genre he wanted to do. Maybe not hip-hop. Maybe not. But I, Musical theatre, though, I think it would well. suit um, like opera pretty well. I don't know enough about opera to say that, but I would I would say he'd make a very fine, you know, um, Jean Valjean or um, Sweeney Todd. Actually, Sweeney Todd would make a lot better one. I would love that if Bruce just went. I'm having a year off, guys. I'm going to the West End and I'm I'm, I'm doing my own thing. <laughs> would he be able to rein it in though? Or would he just be going like Pretty Women? Like that? <laughs> what like, like Alan Rickman? Pretty, pretty Women. women. <laughs> Our first duet. <laughs> Um, it sounded about as good as you would expect. Um, when, so, when you were younger, when you were younger, yeah. just to just break in, right? There's a line in here where, where obviously he says, uh, "There's a time to live, but isn't it strange that as soon as you're born, you're dying?" When you were younger, did you think, "Oh my God, he's right. You're born, but as soon as you're born, you're you're dying." No, um, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'd have to be some kind of pessimistic teenager to to think that. No, but I reckon just like it's one of those things where it's a very good line for a metal song. I've not nothing against it, but it's 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 very. It's kind of true as well. No, it is true. That's what I mean. Like, but I reckon like if you were about fourteen listening to this, that would be one of the sort of like life <laughs> lessons and philosophies you take away, and you probably share it with like you know, the first time you maybe like had a drink or something. You probably like sharing that thought with someone. You know when you have those like deep philosophical conversations. When, when you think oh, I've had a lot younger. of deep philosophical conversations about Iron Maiden in my time. Well, that's what I mean. Like, but I think <laughs> if you were younger, that would be the sort of thing you'd say, that you would stick out as like, oh my god, like I know this song is this whole album is about the seventh son and all this fantasy stuff, but that's true and that speaks to me. And I see it's quite nice. I imagine a lot of young Iron Maiden fans probably did think that. Anyway, well, fair enough. Mm-hmm. So the Moonchild is now left alone uh, with his power. And the ghosts of his regret. Who's the clairvoyant then? I don't know. <laughs> well, this is the prophecy coming true, isn't it? Right. Okay. So, so he is the clairvoyant. I, I, no, I think the clairvoyant is the one who did the prophecy originally. Stop making this harder than it needs to be. Just, just... We're, we're focusing on Moonchild. How many times do I need to say it? <laughs> God, right. Go and put a spotlight back on the moon. Moonchild is left alone with his power and the ghosts of his regret. (laughs) He contemplates his life and whether it is time for him to die. Is he too powerful to stay alive? Even with all his power, he cannot see his own demise. 
Yeah, sure. Good. Good. Right. Cool. Uh, the final track then, number eight, Only the Good Die Young, at uh, 4 minutes 40, much more comfortable time for for Johnny, I would assume. Uh, and it's Harris and Dickinson to bring us the Requiem. Um, I just I just thought this was really relentless. I, I, I wanted this to be a, a Requiem, to be honest, or something that's just a bit more... I, just something that isn't full pace, but no, you go straight from the clairvoyant to dum-dum-dum-dum-dum again, and it's like, when's the Grand National going to stop? I remember when this first, it was a long time after I first got into Iron Maiden where I was re-listening to this and then this song hit me, you know, how good it was. So if you've not got it on, you know, in, in the first week of listening to it, then that's fine because it took me ages yeah. to really appreciate I, I how think, good this song was. I think people have got to forgive the fact as well that um, our schedules are very difficult to match up at the moment. So we're recording when we can and ideally i would have listened to this album for another month you know rather than the sort of like i'm not stopping you you, you can so. do no 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 look i'm not saying I i'll won't. text you in a month and say uh, your month's up how did it go well seventh son of the seventh son and um can i play with madness and the evil and moonchild lots of this i'll be listening to i do i do want to listen to more of it um i just i thought i would advise not giving up on only the good die young yet because i, I don't mind the chorus the chorus is all right it's it it, it gets in you it's one of those songs that will, you know, it'll get to you. It takes a while, but it will get in you. It had a lot of cliches in it. That's what I could remember. And I just thought, I'm not in the mood at this point of the album for more cliches and more solos. I, I wanted something just like, you know, the way the album started off. Yeah. That had so much promise in it. And that was occasionally. You mean reached. the Seven Deadly Sins thing? Seven deadly sins, seven ways to win. That's how I expected yeah. it to start off, which it yeah. did. But a bit, but the bit with the synthesizer come in, and you think, oh, that's they're actually doing something a bit more interesting here. This just seems like you mean the start of the Moonchild, then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it seems like bog standard Iron Maiden. This and I, there's nothing wrong with that. I just think for an album that's hit such epic sort of heights. I would I would have liked something a bit quieter, but I know that I made of an you know they probably only done about one fully acoustic song, haven't they? So I mean like they don't yes, yeah. they, they don't really do that. And it kind was of a thing. big deal when they did it. Oh, it, it was like you know Iron Maiden with an acoustic guitar. This isn't this isn't what we signed up for. Yeah, I bet fans are ripping up the waistcoats, the denim waistcoats, and just being angry. They, they've really loosened up over the last few years, but when when. Well, um, that'll be proved whether and the reaction to the this acoustic podcast. song came on "Dance of Death," and that was uh, that you know that caused a bit of a stir. <laughs> people people weren't really sure what to think about it, and uh, he was Judas. Good... Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Um, so, any other thoughts on uh, "Only the Good Die Young"? Um, sorry, Game of Thronesy. Um, do the undead live within us and look through our eyes? I thought, why didn't Game of Thrones feature this song? at some point in a little... You could do a montage of Game of Thrones, I bet, to this song exactly, and it would be very, very fitting. So someone do that, please. Maybe. I was thinking about doing that this week with... Uh... Oh, I was thinking... Yeah, uh, nothing better to do. This, this is not going to be relevant when we actually um, when we actually release this, but... Mm. Uh, Are you going to do any spoilers for Game of Thrones here? No, this, this is about Theresa May. This week, at <laughs> the time of recording, uh, Theresa May has just quit. Good riddance. Um, so... <laughs> Way to keep your cards close to your chest, there, Johnny. No, um, this is so, my own personal opinion. So, I, own. <laughs> I was think I was listening to uh, "Shouts" by Tears for Fears, mm. and I thought that you could do like a, about the political situation at the moment. At the moment in the UK, yeah. you could put a, a video together 
with a shout over the top of it. In, in, in what way would that relate to Theresa May? At the time, which was a, a few nights ago, yeah. um, I seem to remember it would work. But right now, <laughs> I'm regretting telling this story, if I'm honest. Um, well, let's will finish, this make the edit? Let's finish this story then. The moon child has, uh, has to decide whether he will allow himself to live. Only the good die young, but once again, he must choose between good and evil. If he dies, then evil takes over. If he mm. stays alive, he can hopefully prevent it if he doesn't turn evil himself. What kind of choice is that? So either you die and evil wins, or you stay alive and everything's fine? Pretty much. That's not a choice. I'll have option B, Bob, please. Thank you. <laughs> Obviously. But if he stays alive, he has to stick around and live with his regret. And live with the choices he made. But, and know that he, he could have changed it earlier on. He could have changed the result. That's just life, though, isn't it? Well, um, there is evidence to support both conclusions in the song. Mm. Uh, and I'm not sure which. I'd like to think he stayed alive. It seemed very pessimistic from what I could listen to. I remember it being... One thing I will say about Iron Maiden is this album is not um, like sort of cliched, you know happily ever after kind of thing it, it, it is it's not a comforting listen all the way through you know no. so if this is some something of a sort of high fantasy or like fantasy version of real feelings and real experiences at least it's not done in that sort of sappy way would you go and watch a stage play of seventh son no not if the story is the way you've told it thanks no it's not your fault well as bruce said there's half a story yeah you know and you know we've been speaking about Game of Thrones and things being half-baked and not maybe as we would like them to be, I'm sort of reminded by listening to that kind of not particularly satisfying story that we've just been told. It's, it's not a very <laughs> And this story, is my is version. This is by no means the official Iron Maiden there version. There isn't an official and Iron also Maiden version. And also, it's worth noting that this doesn't follow the plot of Seventh Son by Orson Scott Card, who yeah. uh, Steve Harris read the book... Uh, and that's where he started to have these these visions of of these songs, and that's where yeah. they started to form. But I think I think concept albums are probably better in some ways by not being too strict. I mean, mm. some of them do have threads that you can follow through. Like American Idiot has got a pretty easy narrative thread to follow through. But something like, for example, um, Antichrist Superstar, which is not a million miles away from this, mm. has got these interesting, weird sections where you're like, okay, I think that's where this character descends a little bit, and then that's where this character gains some power, and then descends again. You know, I, I, and I, I like that, so that's fine. I just think um, it's there isn't a story here. It's not as in there isn't a one that you can say, oh, that definitely happens there. But I think they probably the fans probably have enjoyed putting that together themselves. So yeah, if some, if someone has got an actual version of it, you know that they think is a, a bit more tight. I mean, I'm not going to spend long reading it, but if you've got like half a page of A4, I'll read it. <laughs> if you give us the Cliff Notes version, we'll we'll have a skim through. Yeah, perfect. So, did you enjoy this then? <laughs> yeah, I did, and I think this is one that um, is an interesting one to do because I, I I've already said that I've liked all the albums that we did previously. You know, on on the other ones, I didn't know very much about In Excess, but I knew that I liked them. I made, I think Tyler was going to go into this thinking that I would just be taking the mic all the way through, mm-hmm. which I have been doing a bit, but not all the mm-hmm. way through. Um, there are some absolutely brilliant songs on here, and I will definitely be returning to some of them. Some of them, like for example, um, the prophecy. If I never hear that song again, I will have lost, lost. I'll have lost nothing, which I'm fine with. Um, 
Should we do our, our best and worst? Is that yeah. a good idea? Just go go ahead. Right I'm really interested to know what you, uh, what you choose. For the, for the sheer ambition of it, I think Seventh Son of the Seventh Son is, is probably my favourite Office album. I, I think there's some amazingly catchy um, songs on here. And I'll definitely be returning to um, The Evil and obviously kind of play with Badness. But no, Seventh Son of the Seventh Son is, is the best song, in my opinion, off this. Um, I would say the worst one purely because it outstays its welcome, is that second one, Infinite Dreams. No, thank you. Worse than The Prophecy? Um, well, The Prophecy's shorter, so yeah, Infinite Dreams. Okay, so my favourite's... Sorry, uh, guys. The Evil That Men Do. Good. Um, one of my favourite Iron Maiden songs, and has been for a very, very long time, and my least favourite would probably be The Prophecy. I, I think uh, out of every song on the album, that's the one that is less finished. Yeah. So, and you can you tell from from the writing credits. Not to kick Dave Murray when he's down again, but he just doesn't write the sorts of songs that you and I and perhaps other people like as much. Yeah, that's the fairest way to say it. Uh, it it's performance. Then the album debuted number one in the UK album charts, the first since Number of the Beast, as well as number twelve in the US. Uh, US, while the singles "Can I Play with Madness" uh, came in at number three, "Evil That Men Do" came in at number five. And the clairvoyant came in at number six. Oh, the infinite dreams also came in at number six. Uh, so it wow. did. It did pretty well. Pretty high charting singles yeah. and and a certainly high charting album. Maybe more so than a lot of people would expect. What's the high? I mean, you might not know this off the cuff, but what's the highest charting performance that Maiden have got for a single? Do you know? Uh, I know. Bring your daughter to the slaughter was number one. That's probably it, isn't it? I think that actually. I think I remember reading that. Is it, is it for a single? They've had they've had multiple uh, number one albums. Yeah. Um, but as a single, I think that was the first one to get there. I yeah. don't know if they've had another number one since then. I, I th- and I think this might start me on somewhat of a of a. Iron that was Maiden. on the next album, by the way, which were Yannick Gers replaced Adrian Smith as guitarist. Okay, fair enough. Um, this might start me on somewhat of a Iron Maiden journey. I'm going to have a look around. I'm going to. I think I'll start again with some of the the hits because I, I realise I missed some of the hits and. Um, I'll 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 see where that leads me, um, but I will say that the the kind of the high points were were some of the bits that I least expected, like the very start of the album and um, some of those longer instrumental sections that felt like they'd been thought through really carefully. You know, it wasn't just should we spend two more minutes playing all of our instruments really fast? Yeah. yeah. Like so, yeah. When they eventually become a six-piece uh, in '99, uh, that's when I think the sound just re really pops because mm-hmm. they they just become this absolute wall of sound and I think that's why Brave New World is probably one of my favourite albums because you've got six fantastic musicians who all buy into this world that Iron Maiden kind of create and they, mm-hmm. they're all initiated, they all know what Iron Maiden is about and they, they from that point they really do produce some of the, the best stuff um, but as I said in the intro a lot of people they're going to have phases of Iron Maiden's career where they go, no, that was it. Yeah. Much like, you know, we find with you two when so, we talk to people. Yeah, and... I, I th- appreciate the whole career is what I'm trying to say. Though. Yeah, and I think that's true of many bands and particularly the next couple of bands that will be coming up, although I'm not going to say who they are because I like to have the flexibility of changing my mind. It is set in, it's pretty set in stone though, isn't it? Well, we th- All right, well, we think we're going to be travelling back to the 70s to be doing some bands that may have had a little bit of an influence on you 2 Let's say that then. Yeah? You reckon? Yeah. 
Yes, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I see. <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's what we'll be doing soon anyway, guys. Um, hopefully this will be up quite soon. Um, and yeah, there we go. Um, as always, we are recording these massively in advance. So, um, but that doesn't mean you can't send us our recommendations for future episodes of Tumult because there's not really a time limit on this show, to be honest. No, but I, I just want to say to kind of close, uh, I know that Iron Maiden uh, is probably a band that many of you have never listened to or, or, you know, not given much credence to over the years. But if you've got this far and you've stuck with it, then thank you very much um, because it's it's been quite nice for me to sit down and discuss a band that I care about almost as much as you two. Hmm. Or you're an Iron Maiden fan and you've put in Seventh Son of a Seventh Son into iTunes or something, this has come up yeah. and you're thinking, what is this? In that case, I'm sorry. Well, I think we've been fair enough. We've been as fair as we've been yeah, to but the I other forgot bands. most of my useful information about ten years ago about Iron Maiden, so... And I don't care. <laughs> so, so there you go. Uh, as we say, we'll be back next week uh, with a couple... Well, the first one of uh, YouTube's influences. Mm, so we'll see you then. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review2to u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the Review2 podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment and subscribe. Thank you.